Establishing data link. Four, three, two, one. You are listening to the ABI 1.0 podcast, a podcast for the curious. Howdy, and welcome to the ABI 1.0 podcast. I'm your host, Terry Thompson. We've been investigating the history of spring break Starting in episode 1 in 1922, we've picked up important pieces along the way through, you know, the 30s, 40s, and 50s to get to the point where everything coalesces in 1962 AD. You heard that right. The crest of the spring break culture wave. Follow me and you'll see why. We were moving at such a rapid clip, I forgot to mention a toy that was invented in the 40s worth mentioning. A staple in youth culture for many years, even to the present day. Let's rewind a bit and pay it its due. In 1946, Richard T. James, a naval mechanical engineer, was developing springs that could support and stabilize sensitive instruments aboard ship in rough seas. James accidentally knocked one of the springs from a shelf and watched as the springs stepped in a series of arcs to a stack of books, to a tabletop, and then to the floor, where it recoiled itself and stood upright. Thus was born one of the best-known toys of all time. Who walks the stair without a care and makes the happiest sound? Bounce up and down just like a clown. Everyone knows it's Linky. The best present yet to give or get. The favorite all over town. The hit of the day when you're ready to play. Everyone knows it's Linky. It's Linky. It's Linky. For fun, it's the best of the toys. It's Linky. It's Linky. The favorite of girls and boys. And boys and girls, more fun with Slinky Pull Toys, Slinky Caterpillar, Slinky Train, Slinky Hippopotamus. Everyone wants a Slinky Pull Toy. The learning curve of a Slinky usually involved a younger sibling, a stretched out to the max Slinky, and a mischievous bent. Even though the Slinky is not necessarily a, associated with spring break as a toy, it is a spring, and I kinda like them. Whammo introduced the Frisbee in 1957. It happens to be my dog Bud's favorite toy. Not that he catches them, but he uses it for a food bowl. Last but not least, the Hula Hoop was introduced in 1958. Now, that's definitely a, uh, spring break toy i would say a beach toy let's put away our toys and continue on our journey what do you say 
in a move that almost derailed rock and roll before it left the station, Elvis Aaron Presley entered the United States Army in Memphis, Tennessee on March 24, 1958 and spent three days at the Fort Chaffee, Arkansas reception station. He left active duty at Fort Dix, New Jersey after a stint in Germany on March 5, 1960 and received his discharge from the Army Reserve finally in March 23, 1964. point of departure for Germany. I was relieved the reporters didn't ask me about my mother. Elvis, do the other soldiers give you a rough time because you're famous? No, sir, I was very surprised. Uh, I, I've never met a, a, a better group of boys in my life. They, uh, they probably would have uh, if it had been like everybody thought. I mean, everybody thought I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't have to work and I would uh, be given special treatment and this and that. When they looked around and saw I was, I was on KP and I was pulling guard and everything just like they were, well, they figured, well, he's just like us. The 1960s marked the change of America in many ways. It was a time of rebellion, upheaval, and expressiveness. The 60s saw the boom of surfing everywhere, especially in California. 1959 marked the first year of competitive surfing, and in 1962, Huntington Beach hosted the first U.S. Surfboard Championship. By 1962, surfing had generated a lot of momentum. New boards, wetsuits, competition, magazines, and the sport was at a tipping point. Then the movie Gidget was released in April of that year and pushed it over the top. A nine-year surf explosion ensued. The boom was a cultural phenomenon, one that was spread to the near and far reaches of teenage consumerism. Although the movie did not show a lot of surfing, it showed suntan girls in bikinis shirtless boys wearing shades, the evening barefoot dance parties on the beach, the wet skin, <laughs> all presented in glorious 35mm cinemascope. In 1962, nothing looked as good on screen as the surfing life. We here at the ABI 1.0 podcast enjoy hearing from our listeners. Feel free to comment anytime, either through email, voicemail. You can check out our Facebook page. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Flickr, heck, almost everywhere. Now, we've given up tying notes to bricks and throwing them through uh, people's windows. <laughs> that got a little annoying and uh, very expensive. Barely 12 years had elapsed in the atomic age before a new age thrust itself to the forefront. <laughs> you like what I did there? Uh, yeah. The space age. Moscow newspapers were first. Then headlines around the world echoed the news. 
Russia had blasted a man-made moon into outer space. On every continent and in every land, the story of Sputnik 1 dominated the front pages. The Soviets had scored a scientific first, and the Moscow propaganda mill busily trumpeted the news. Animation showed what Sputnik 1, with its four aerials, looked like. There was a flood of films on studies leading to the missile launching, like this scene of a research laboratory. The pictures are interesting and revealing, but remember they are propaganda, carefully edited by the Russians to further the communist cause. The facilities needed to fire and track the artificial moon are so vast that a scientist at center screen is almost lost in a giant Russian laboratory. Soviet animation reveals that a three-stage rocket like the one America will use propels Sputnik 1 skyward. In its orbit, 560 miles above the Earth, the satellite reached a speed of 18,000 miles an hour, circling the globe once every 96 minutes. It was photographed from a plane, although only 23 inches in diameter. And observatories in both hemispheres, using powerful telescopes, were able to film Sputnik in flight. Most important of all were its beep, beep, beep signals. Recorded on tape, they unlocked secrets of space. News of a second Sputnik carrying a dog confirmed the opening of the space age. Enclosed in an air-conditioned capsule, the dog, a female called Laika, was history's first space passenger. The dog had been trained for satellite travel in a series of earlier rocket flights. As in her final ascent, the animal was wired with instruments. Her blood pressure, temperature, and heartbeat were converted into electrical signals and broadcast to Earth. In this preliminary flight, two canines were sent aloft. Surviving the shock of takeoff acceleration, both animals, free from gravity's pull, adjust themselves to the frightening feeling of floating weightless in space. Here is evidence that man can step out to reach the moon, the planets, or even the stars. While the dogs were parachuted safely to Earth in this test, there was no way of recovering Laika from Sputnik 2, which still circles on. Of course, how did society respond during the panic that ensued in America during this time? A simple jingle wouldn't suffice. Why, we broke out in song. Flying through the air, 
headed that we're five years behind. And if that's true, I'm a telling you this hiding place is mine. Don't care if it's roomy, just so it's roomy. And so it's somewhere Sputnik can find. Sputniks and Mudniks flying through the air. Sputniks and Mudniks flying everywhere. They're so ironic for the atomic. Those funny missiles have got me scared. Cocoa Beach. Heard of it? No, it's not a beach in Willy Wonka world. It's a true beach on the mid-eastern coast of Florida, facing the Atlantic Ocean. Great place in the 50s and early 60s, even after the noisy neighbor moved in next door. With the founding of NASA in 1958, October of that year, and the construction of Cape Canaveral along the Florida coast as America's space coast, the neighborhood got very busy indeed. You see, America had to make up for lost time. Godspeed, John Glenn. It might not be a spring break without a few bugs in the air, or in this case, Ooh, total vacuum. I have the fireflies. It was only a matter of time before the atomic age, space age, and the age of television all collided with some very interesting results. Meet George Jetson. Just those words will prompt viewers of a certain age to join in singing the show's catchy theme song. The popular primetime cartoon show, set in the year 2062, featured the Jetson family living in a utopian future. People lived in housing in the sky, worked a three-day work week, drove aero cars that looked like flying saucers, and had incredible conveniences that left them with plenty of leisure time. George, his wife Jane, and their children Judy and Elroy also have a robotic maid named Rosie and a talking dog named Astro. It first appeared September of 1962. It was a great show, ahead of its time, <laughs> uh, you know, but maybe uh, a little too ahead of its time. Because you see, the Jetsons was canceled because of lack of color after a short run. In 1962, less than 3% of American homes had a color TV set, but the Jetsons was broadcasting color, ABC's first show to air that way. For those watching on a black and white TV, they missed out completely on the vibrant world Hanna-Barbera had created.
regret an untimely loss of a female role model in 1962? Well, maybe not a role model as much as an icon. She did blaze the trail. Marilyn Monroe, the golden girl of Hollywood, leaves behind a glittering and tragic legend. Presentation to the Queen of England was but one climax in a life that began drearily as an unwanted child and ended in a lonely, self-inflicted death 36 years later. A queen in her own realm of entertainment, she was the only woman known the world over by her two initials. A tour of army bases in Korea in 1954 brought G.I.'s the beauty and vivacity that made her an undisputed symbol in her time. As soldiers adored her, so did men wherever in the world her films were played. And that was everywhere. Yet for all the happiness this bubbling comedian brought into the lives of millions, she was seldom able to find it lastingly for herself. Her second marriage to baseball hero Joe DiMaggio lasted less than a year, though he remained one of her most devoted and protective friends. Playwright Arthur Miller was her last husband and wrote her last completed film, but the marriage failed. Miss Monroe came often to New York, and whenever she made a personal appearance, her fans saw only the exuberant, carefree image she projected on the screen. Her appearances on movie sets or on location were not always so carefree. But whatever her personal and professional difficulties might have been, the world lost something radiant when Marilyn Monroe took her leave of it. Remember our boy Elvis? When he got out of his stint with the army, not only did he resume his role as a star in society, but his movie career skyrocketed. 1962 saw arguably the first of many beach, surfing, singing movies with girls, girls, girls. I think I need to mention, to stay true to our Spring Break theme, that Disneyland opened in 1955. Yes, Disney got fully involved in entertaining teens. Why, one of the original Mouseketeers uh, starred in a 60s surf movie craze with uh, Beach Blanket Bingo. And I'm talking about Annette Funicello. Nineteen sixty-two saw the Bay of Pigs invasion, <laughs> and no, I'm not talking slang for a crowd of ugly people at the swimming pool. It also saw the Cuban Missile Crisis, where we were on the precipice of new total nuclear war with Russia. All the more reason in my book to escape to the beach. So you see, 1962 was the year of fusion of all the individual components that make up today's spring break. Yes, things have changed in 60 years. Uh, well, haven't they? Music has certainly changed, uh, but not by much. Surfing went to lightweight composites, that's kind of a change. Fashions, well, still haven't improved on the bikini, except using less material. <laughs> We're still waiting on our robots and flying cars, and as of this podcast, we're under threat of total nuclear war with Russia. It may be true, the old saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. 
We may have some new spring break adventures on the horizon, however. The future may see spring breakers on other planetary beaches. And there's the virtual world to look forward to, where you can spring break anywhere or anytime you want. You know, this brings this final part three, the finality of the 100-year history of spring break, to a close. I hope you've enjoyed it. Well, it may not have explained everything about today's spring break. You know, there's so many paths you can go by, but I think we got a handle on the core, the core of it all. If you're going to uh, enjoy spring break this year, drink irresponsibly in large crowds or not large crowds, avoid large crowds. Or what is it these days? I, I can't remember. Oh, well, just uh, be safe. And for uh, me, Terry Thompson, your host, my dog Bud, and the uh, rooster Bubba, I think we're gonna, you know, it's getting close to spring break and uh, we're gonna check out and see if there's any variation to the uh, bikini this year. Take care, see ya. We here at the ABI 1.0 podcast enjoy hearing from our listeners. Feel free to comment anytime, either through email, voicemail. You can check out our Facebook page. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, Flickr, heck, almost everywhere. Now, we've given up tying notes to bricks and throwing them through uh, people's windows. <laughs> that got a little annoying and uh, very expensive. You have been listening to the ABI 1.0 podcast.